Welcome to the Water and Real Life Podcast. We are the H2 Duo. We're dedicated to sharing stories that demonstrate how communication and collaboration move things forward. If you want to overcome your challenges, then you have to build relationships. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or resource to give you the tools to curate connections with your customers that create impact. Creative and Strategy at J.O., marketing agency in Fort Worth, Texas. Duke Greenhill has nearly 20 years success as a global marketer, a widely published thought leader, and award-winning filmmaker and screenwriter. He has held senior positions at some of the world's most respected agencies in Manhattan and Washington, D.C., and he founded Greenhill & Partners, a Manhattan-based boutique consultancy specializing in brand storytelling and luxury brands. He has worked with some of the world's most respected organizations, too, including Levi Strauss & Co., Dockers, Chanel, Adidas, MasterCard, Red Bull, Tiffany & Co., Ritz-Carlton, Ameriprise Financial, L'Oreal, the Government of Monaco, and more. He also oversaw creative advertising production for two presidential election campaigns where he excelled at the real-time adjusting and optimization demanded by the fast-paced environments of political campaigns. As a widely published thought leader, Duke has written numerous articles on business and marketing for the New York Times, The Telegraph, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, The Harvard Review, and others. Duke has been honored to receive numerous industry accolades and ranks his Graduate Academy Award nomination chief among them. He has a BA from the University of Texas at Austin and an MFA with honors from Columbia University. When he's not working, which is rare, Duke can be found outdoors playing with his beagle, Atticus, and Pitbull Phoenix. But whether Duke's working on digital media or traditional moving images or still, strategy or creative, he brings a priceless skill set to the table, that of a steadfast storyteller, which is a great segue into why we brought Duke in here today. Um, Duke, thank you for being here. My pleasure. It's so convenient having you just down the hallway. <laughs> so Duke is our first in live interview. And so I can't imagine a better guest to bring us into this live, turn our office into a studio situation. So thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, I couldn't be more thrilled. And you've done a great job turning the office into a studio. <laughs> it feels totally real in here, y'all. Yes. That's what we're going for. Um, so I'm glad that your bio ends with talking about you being a storyteller because that's really what we wanted to talk about with you today because that's something that Ariane and I are both incredibly passionate about, us specifically with the stories related to water, but learning from all storytellers and, um, for all different areas. And you are definitely... One of those, I mean, I think Arianne told you today that the reason we started this podcast was just to share all the badasses that we've met, and you're definitely one of those in that category. So, um, but not everybody understands kind of what that means, um, especially if they don't work in a creative, either communication or marketing ask business. And so, in our world, we often have to. Um, 
sell our case, if you will, to people who are outside of that realm. And so if someone came to you and was like, I need to really explain, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to tell your story? What does storytelling mean? Like, why are you passionate about that? And how would you define that? Great question. Um, first, let me just say thank you for thinking I'm a badass. <laughs> that always feels good. <laughs> and you said you're glad the bio ended with storytelling. I'm just glad it ended. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing worse than sitting and hearing people talk about you. Um, but in terms of storytelling, um, you know, the, the human brain, it's been proven, is, is hardwired to react to certain structures that we call storytelling, you know, beginning, middle, end. Um, and it, the brain reacts to that almost like it does to a drug uh, in a good way. Um, and so when I'm trying to explain to, to clients or the general public, you know, what, what is this storytelling and business thing that we're talking about? What does it mean? It just means taking the information you already have and putting it in an order that makes the public, whoever your target audience is, feel high yeah. as opposed to, you know, to feeling low. There you go. So you're also an incredible writer. Um, and one of the things that I really, <laughs> in some of the conversations that I've enjoyed having with you are talking about, um, like in our, in, in the line of, business of water it's very complicated very technical very scientific and so we're constantly telling people preaching the idea of readability and making sure that they're communicating things that people of all backgrounds and education levels can understand because in this case it's important because we're talking about things that deal with public health um and in some of your writing i know that you've always kind of you write up here and that your editor is like, okay, you need to like, you need to like bring it down, bring it down a notch. And I thought it was really interesting. One of the last times we were talking to you about that, you're like, well, I think people should like work, Rise up. <laughs> which I can yeah. totally appreciate. But, um, like when you're dealing with clients who have that subject matter that maybe more difficult and complex to understand? Like, how do you help work with them to make it something that's engaging for, yeah, mm -hmm. for their audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of writing in terms of more, thinking of it more as a, a language, you know, English versus Spanish, for example, as opposed to writing highbrow or writing for the common denominator or, or however you want to describe it. Um, it's not that the story about, me and my editors is sometimes <laughs> true, um, but it's not necessarily that I'm writing above the audience. I'm just writing in a language right. that perhaps they're not fluent in. Yeah, um, that's a good way to put that. I like that. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about the technical aspects of water or, or, or anything else, it's just a question of translation. What's the word or words that I can replace these technical terms with mm -hmm. that will carry the most meaning for my particular audience? Right. Yeah, the, the language that we often, you know, it's state-mandated language that just scares the crap out of people. Ah. And yes. <clears throat> Meaning you're legally obligated to use certain... Yes. Interesting. Yes, mm -hmm. and so, you know, in the, in the case of, you know, a notification or of a violation or something, most uh, cities that we've come across are just doing what, you know, it's mandated by the state, and 
the residents just don't understand. And we've tried to do that before and translate that and, and even kind of went through the grandma test or, or director director's mom, you know, <laughs> passed it on to her first and said, what does this mean to you? Do you understand this? And when we translated it, she was like, oh, well, I don't have to worry about this at all. This is just not, not a big deal. But the language that we have to deal with is so, I don't know. It's just, it's challenging. It's very, it can be very legalistic. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Legalese, bureaucratic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is there any prohibition against stating whatever it is that you have to say and then saying, and this is what it means? Well, yeah. we hope not because that's what we that's did what on several doing. occasions yeah. to make it digestible for um, someone mm-hmm. who doesn't understand. I mean, whether you've, it's really weird for me, like whether you've done something right or done something wrong, when you read something in that legal jargon, I mean, it scares you. It feels mm-hmm. like, oh God, what did I do? Like I oh. did. So it automatically kind of comes <laughs> off with just that negative yeah. connotation. And yeah. so being able to say it in a way that doesn't carry that kind of weight of jail. <laughs> That's kind of what we're yeah. trying to, you know, educate as we go. It's like, just give them another paragraph below that, that explains that in a version that make them understand. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of education, that's, you know, if you distilled sort of certain educational theory down, that's what it is. Show an example, explain Mm -hmm. why that example, and then reinforce it with another example. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about technical language that you have to state, Mm -hmm. which frankly seems a little silly to me, state it, (laughs) say this is what it means, and (laughs) yeah. But I think, to me, that sounds like the best solution. Yeah. Um... What would you say is your, if, I mean, I think I already kind of know what the answer is going to be, but um, in terms of storytelling with words and storytelling with images and film, like what would be your favorite type of storytelling? What do you think is the most effective? Wow. That's a great question. Um, the most effective, I mean, we, we know quantifiably from a statistical perspective is a moving image. Mm-hmm. You can look at stats from online video versus, you know, a press release or some other form of strict copy, and you can see mm-hmm. that people are profoundly more affected by the moving image than, than by something still. Um, but there's a certain simplicity and beauty to, to just the words, I think, too. It allows us to imagine mm-hmm. what does this look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've yet to see, you know, with all of the great film directors that have lived, I've yet to see one who really surpasses any single human being's imagination. Right, true. So, yeah. Apples and oranges, I guess. It is pretty. Um, I think in one of the pieces, because um, several, I am a, I'm a big fan of your Fort Worth Business Press um, <laughs> thought leadership pieces, and I know on one of them you, I think you said something, uh, it was from one of the research that you did where it said that a video was worth like 1.8 million words or something along those lines. So that really goes back towards, you can say so much with a film that you, or moving picture that you may not necessarily be able to say within the confines of a page. Yeah, yeah, Forrester did that research. Forrester, that's right. Honestly, I'm not sure how you equate 1.8 million words to to a minute of film. Um, But I think the, the implication is clear and true that you get a lot more done with a minute of movie than you do with a minute of reading, mm-hmm. at least in terms True. of Gosh, yeah. compelling people toward a, an action or a behavior that you want. Mm-hmm. So you did a great job at defining what actually 
at its bare roots what a story is, but if you had to kind of put, if you had to define sort of the art of storytelling, like what makes, okay, so every story has beginning, middle, end, but like what makes a story like truly compelling, in your opinion, because, you know, it's an art, so everyone's going to have a different idea, but. Yeah, I'm going to use a buzzword to answer that question, so I got to preface this with saying I mean this word you know, really what it has always meant and not what it's sort of been usurped to mean. But if a, if a conveyance of information, we can call that a story, is authentic to, to the world in which the story is taking place and the person who's telling it, then it's compelling. Um, you know, you go to a movie uh, and you're watching it and you kind of think, well, this, there's something off. I don't, I don't really dig it. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's because something, you know, not in your head but in your heart, in your gut, is resonating with you as not being right, not mm-hmm. not sinking, not jiving, mm-hmm. somehow being inauthentic. Um, so as long as you are true uh, to the purpose of the story and to yourself as a storyteller, um, I think you know it's hard to go wrong at that point. Um, I love that you said authenticity because that <laughs> was um, kind of where my brain was headed, um, specifically in looking where uh, in your bio I did I had no idea before I read this that you had also worked on two presidential election campaigns um and for me I think politics is pretty close to some of the same rules I'm using air quotes that you know they feel oh I can say this or I can't say that but when you're doing a campaign you obviously want to look very authentic um and so we always tried in what we do to be authentic in what we were saying, but again, that goes back to we're dealing with a uh, subject matter that's complex and that not everyone understands. It's dealing with public health. And so there seems to be this line between how can I be authentic without um, saying like too much, and not because you're trying to hide something, but sometimes too much information can be a problem because if the person who's getting it doesn't know what to do with it or how to digest it or have enough information to fill in those gaps, you know, that can become an even bigger problem. So in those situations, because to me I feel like they're pretty close, like how do you balance that line between authenticity and just overshare? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean... I'll preface that by saying in, in your lifetime, how many politicians have you seen that really resonated with you as being authentic? True. Um, you know, I think what you're doing actually does serve a public good, and I'm allowed to say this since I don't work in political media anymore, <laughs> but virtually none of the men and women I worked for did I really at the end of the day think we're doing a public good. Um, but the, you know, the short answer is that if true authenticity is unattainable for whatever reason, um, then trying your hardest right. to mimic true authenticity yeah. is also appreciated. It's sort of the A for effort mm-hmm. kind of approach. Uh, and in politics, particularly political media, that's what we always try to do. Well, mm-hmm. he's not really telling the truth. She's not really telling the truth, but yeah. let's let's just go full throttle and, and people will at least appreciate that they're dedicated right. or yeah. consistent. But in your case, I think it's. T- I don't think we can compare those two. It's not apples and oranges. You're kind of asking, 
there are some things that it might be a disservice to the public if we conveyed or it's too much information. Yeah. In those cases, I think it's more authentic to your goal, to your purpose, and to you as storytellers to, to leave it out mm-hmm. to the degree that you can and stick to, you know, the important nuts and bolts of mm-hmm. it. Do you have any examples from any of the work you've done in storytelling um, that's been using that storytelling to build trust or to humanize um, the client that you were working with? Yeah. Um, the example that, that pops into my head is a, a financial corporation called Ameriprise. And, you know, you think of banks, you think of financial institutions, and they're almost immediately viewed as if not evil, at least not very human. <laughs> um, and so the, you know, our first step was really to, to literally apply a human to that brand. And in our case, we spent a whole bunch of money to, to hire Tommy Lee Jones to sort of be the face of that brand of really, yeah, strong, you know, yeah. sort of Southern. Um, oh, Tommy Lee Jones, you know who I was thinking of? I was not thinking but, of Tommy. <laughs> no, not Tommy Lee, the rock star. No. <laughs> Although I was I would like, wow. Um, and so when you literally apply a human to a brand in a sort of spokesperson role or something like that, it gets you a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, but what people want to see is, and not just in a relationship with a brand or a water department or whatever the case may be, is a mirror, right? A reflection. Mm-hmm. They People need to see themselves and know that they're okay, they belong, they're not different. Um, and so we created apps and sort of gamified them where where people could go to the app and imagine their own retirement how much am i going to have to save to live this way oh, uh, wow. what yeah. if i work a few more years and save a little bit less each year what does that look like yeah. um and really reflect back to them the reality that we all struggle with the same problems how am i going to save who's going to take care of me when i get old yeah. will i be able to take care of myself and when people see that they're not the only ones who are afraid of something mm-hmm. or not the only ones that love something, then you connect and, and yeah. that's the best you can do. Mm, yes. Um, I guess that kind of goes with, um, my next, my next kind of question was related to using storytelling to build connection, but you kind of already hit that nail on the head in terms of, making this how how is this like me and how how does this impact me and connect me with this um whatever it is that you're trying to market or to to brand um so that kind of go ahead the other side of that coin though is i think equally important yeah we have to show a reflection you're okay i empathize etc but you also have to draw the contrast that at the same time the storyteller you are also unique hmm. yeah so, it, you know, if we were all walking around sort of drones pretending or not pretending, literally yeah. living sort of the same loves and fears, that would be kind of drab. Yeah, um, for sure. But as a unique storyteller saying, I'm different from you, but we share these same things sure. nonetheless, that's that's powerful. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to give away uh, too much about your topic that you're going to be speaking at at Catalyst. Um However, kind of tell me the relationship between storytelling and branding and how those two kind of work hand in hand. Well, I think that's 
you know, just it, the, the idea of a brand, you know, we, we hear the word brand and we think, or many people think, oh, that's a logo right. or it's 100%. a tagline mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever. And even deeper than that, you know, it's kind of a, I'll use the word cliche, even in our business to say, oh, a brand is a promise mm-hmm. or a brand is a personality for <laughs> a corporation or organization. And even that is, is far too limiting. I mean, the way I approach it is to really think of brands as people in the sense that the, the mindset I put myself in is if I were me, which I am, and they were a person, um, what about them would I really, really like? Mm-hmm. And then I take those things and lead with them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with leading with our strengths. Um, but in the context of a brand, the idea is, you know, connection. You don't just want a customer right. yeah. or a supporter. You want a, a zealot. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ooh, and yeah. That's, that's where you find them is when you connected. Not, not just convinced, but connected. Mm-hmm. Through... The- through kind of telling your story and mm-hmm. through getting them engaged with like who you are as a company or as a utility or, um, yeah. And more, maybe not more important than who you are because it's what got you there, but, but how you became that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are all essentially a story, you know, mm-hmm. you are who you are today because of what's happened to you every year, every day, every minute mm-hmm. that came before. And the only way that we as humans can relate to each other is to share those stories. Yeah. This is what happened to me, and so, um, and so, yeah. I mean, that's that's where connection happens. Great. I love uh, how I just like made that all come together. <laughs> Appreciate you. Know what you're Duke. doing. Um, so I wanted to wrap up with asking you. Um, I mean, we're not going to get super personal. These aren't that personal. You already know what the questions are. <laughs> but um, what is a, like, what are you reading? What have you read lately? Or is there, like, a podcast or resource or blog or something that you just couldn't live without? Yeah, there are many. Um, <laughs> oh, please list them all because I, yeah. I have the habit of, I mean, I'm, I'm a big hard copy, book-in-my-hand kind of mm-hmm. person. Same with her. Um, yep. And... I'm the kind of person who I can't read one book at one time and front to back and finish it. I've got, you know, six or seven at any given time that I (laughs) trade off through. Um, But right now I'm reading um, uh, a book called Puka's Promise, which Mm. is a sequel to a book called Merle's Door written by a really great writer, an outdoor journalist who sort of conveys the essential truths of life through his experiences with his dogs, his pets. Cool. Oh, wow. Nice. I'm reading a a book by Osho, who is a sort of modern Eastern philosopher called Meditation. Um, I'm finishing a book by Brene Brown, (laughs) who I'm a huge fan of. Yes. Which Um, one? uh, Daring Greatly, which I've read before, but I'm reading again. Um, And I'm a sucker for you know, trashy yeah. fiction that you pick up at the airport. <laughs> now you're talking to me. Anything with Jack Reacher and I'm in it. Ah, nice. You sound like my husband. He's read all of those, I think. Um, okay. Uh, what's, um, actually, when you were talking about that, I'm going to, like, sidebar for a second. You made me think about 
So every Monday, um, J.O. has their production meeting. It's probably like one of the most efficient meetings I've like ever been yes. in, even though Duke oh, rules is <laughs> You I sit there going, oh, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, gosh, we've been in some doozies. That's why we can say that. But um, at the end of it, Duke always gives a little nugget <laughs> of, yeah, go out there and get him, team. and um, Or just kind of l- look at this and think differently about this or mull Check this, this over. little trend I feel like he discovers. But yes, he was like. Way ahead of everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So keep thinking that. Yeah. One of the one of the last times that we were in there was actually you were showing us excerpts from um, the piece written by the Pope. Oh yeah. What was that called again? Oh, now you're challenging me. Yeah, we'll put you on the spot. It's in Latin, y'all. So. <laughs> it is, and it might come to me as we talk. Okay. But I've forgotten now. But it was uh, there were several pieces. There were several sections of it where he was talking about man's relationship to the environment, mm-hmm. and um, it was. I don't know if you remember what your nugget was that day, but it was really cool how you were showing showing and pointing out the choices of words and way that he wrote to connect to the actual words that he was saying. Um, and I haven't gone back and read that yet, but I remember that was extremely powerful because I would never have, I would never have stumbled across the Pope's writings on, uh, yeah. uh, but so when Duke remembers, we'll post it because it was, um, it was pretty cool the way that she made that comparison. So we always appreciate Duke's nuggets of yeah. his wisdom. <laughs> well, and, and you know, speaking of storytelling and this particular pope, at least in my lifetime and from what I can tell for however many thousands of years we've had a pope, they've been very guarded. Mm-hmm. You know, their humanity has never shown. And, and this pope in particular is taking a very different approach right. and empathizing Mm -hmm. uh, in public view with people who previous to this would have been, you know, I'm going to say beneath the Pope's stature, according to the Catholic Church. And so people are resonating with him because he's telling a story and it's authentic. And when I can think of the name, I'll (laughs) send it to you. But he, um, popes in general write these from occasion and they go out to all of the diocese. And that one was about our relationship with the earth and how we need to take care of it each other so for a water nerd and like environmental nerd that was pretty uh that was a pretty awesome nugget monday morning monday morning (laughs) okay so that was my sidebar because while you were talking that reminded me of that but we're gonna get back to um kind of your routine so (laughs) what's a morning like in duke's life routine is a good (laughs) word to describe it um but no almost every morning i wake up very early. Same time every day? It's really hard for me to sleep past 4.30 or 5. Oh, I'm man. very used to getting up at 4.30 or 5. Uh, weather permitting, I always go on a long walk with the pets. Um, if we're lucky, it's the time of year where the sun rises during that mm, time. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's in darkness, but that's kind of nice, too. Yeah. Um, then we sit, drink coffee read the papers digitally <laughs> since you can't get papers yeah, no. uh, very easily anymore. Um, what papers do you read? I always go to the Times, mm. depending on what clients I'm working with at any given time, sometimes the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
the local papers for wherever I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and then off to work. Man. Uh, can I be your pet? <laughs> I want to go on a long walk there. and have some coffee. Yeah, right. And mixed in there, there's always meditation. And I will admit that, although I'm not a huge Tony Robbins fan, yeah. he has a sort of 10-minute morning mm-hmm. ritual that kind of focused on gratitude and mm-hmm. nice. that I always do, which I Very cool. find really cool. Yeah. I've been reading more and more about just the incredible value of having a morning routine and starting your day off kind of with your own intentions and not letting the email and all of the other pressing things that are going to hit you the second you get in the office start your day because already you're kind of giving away your power of getting towards your own goals. And so, um, Oh yeah. If you don't have an hour or even just 10 minutes for yourself mm. and you haven't got yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've all got that. We've all one got day, one day. One day, Ariane will get sleep and rest. And I say my, I get my best sleep between about three and seven because <laughs> I've always got, I've got three kids under three. And so oh, I've well, always got why, yes. one of them is always up at some hour. And if it's about 3.30 or 4, yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I still have three hours I can get in. So I, that's wow. when I try to get my best sleep. Now, do you go to bed early? I, I don't need a whole lot of sleep. Uh, I, I usually I go to bed eleven ish. If something good is on TV, <laughs> <laughs> or if I'm watching a great movie, maybe a little bit later. But sure. Yeah. What's your favorite quote that gets you fired up? Oh man, that Absolute. gets me fired up. Yeah, you sent me some good ones. I really like that Albert Einstein one. That's a great one. Um, creativity is intelligence having fun. Yes, yes. I like I that. But what gets me fired up, I'm a huge Audrey Hepburn fan. Um, (laughs) That tells you a little bit about me. (laughs) Um, But she used to say, uh, nothing is impossible. Even the word impossible spells I'm possible. Ooh, I I love that one. Yep, that's going into the Catalyst Journal, (laughs) y'all. I love it. Okay, so... um, In our experience, we've seen how something as simple as water can be a catalyst for change and can bring people together, Um, hence the name of the podcast, Water in Real Life. Um, But oftentimes people don't change because they feel like just one person making a change is not going to make an impact where we disagree and we believe that change can actually be contagious. And so people are likely to um, imitate what's nearest to them. So what's a call to action that you're most passionate about? Or what's one simple change that you believe one person can make that could ultimately change the world? First, let me say, I think you're exactly right. I mean, one person can make significant change. Think about how many people you encounter in Mm -hmm. just one given day. I mean, that's tremendous impact, potential impact that Mm -hmm. you could make. But I would, to me, the answer is in realizing that we are all just people doing our best Mm -hmm. trying to get through you know with what we've got and that's sort of become ubiquitous and kind of cliche to say you know we're all just people and so I guess my call to action would be you know stop for a second and think about what that means what does that mean to be you you know what you suffer through what you deal with what brings you joy everyone else has both the dark and the light of that Um, and every time you encounter someone and they're mean to you or every time you encounter someone and they're wonderful to you, remember that it's gray. You know, yeah. we're all 
empathy, I guess, is the answer. Exercise yes. that, yes. and we'd all be okay. Yeah. Exactly. Well, um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, ladies. Um, for everyone who's listening, um, Duke is an amazing resource for all things storytelling, branding, strategy. You name it, he's got it. I mean, <laughs> probably a whole list of others, too. But I'll. Um, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, to email us at J-O. There you go. There Hello you go. at the old fashioned email. Com. Love it. And if you want a taste of um, Duke's writing, he writes thought leadership pieces. I don't know how frequently you do it for Fort Worth Business Press. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, anyone else like right now, or because those are the ones that I've mainly been reading. Uh, I do. Uh, I've been busy. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, occasionally for Fast Company and, okay. and Entrepreneur still. So. Awesome. Very cool. Well, um, if you want more, Duke will be speaking at Catalyst, which is our Mastermind Summit in San Antonio, June 21st and 22nd. Um, we, Rogue Water, partnered with Saws, TAWWA, and Wheat to put together an incredible collection of professionals who are going to lend us their time, talent, and passion to bring our educate our water educators and communicators to the next level because those are the people we feel like are really going to take us into um, the next generation of where our industry is heading. So if you want to take part in that, please go to roguewatergroup.com backslash catalyst. You can get more information on the mastermind group, the registration, the hotel, all of that. It's all on there. Um, so we're kicking off our podcast series, Water in Real Life, with interviews with all of our Catalyst Thought Leaders. Duke is presenting during our content creation and branding sections of Catalyst. Um, in, content, in the content section, he's going to be joined by Jennifer Henderson, who is actually the founder and president of JO Marketing Agency in Fort Worth, along with Megan Schneider of Seven Strategies from Orange County in California and Ryan Beltran. You can check out their interviews coming up next. Ryan Beltran will be episode five. Jennifer is episode six and Megan is episode seven. Thanks for checking out episode four with Duke Greenhill. We hope you enjoyed it. We always love our chats with the Duke. Check out the show notes at theh2duo.com backslash water in real life. If you enjoyed the episode, please let us know by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. It would mean the world to us if you also take just a moment to rate and review us on iTunes as well. Be sure to give us a shout and let us know what you thought on Twitter at the underscore h2duo. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, shout out to our podcast producer, Ryan Beltran, founder of Alequa and the Make Water Project. He is a water rock star, y'all. So you should definitely check out um, makewater.org or follow him on Instagram at makewater underscore. We hope you learned something new, got a little inspired, and most importantly, took action on something today that will move you one step closer to your goal. Until the next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.